breathe out, give Have yourself fun. a period of silence Have and fun. go Have to Have fun it. with it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our new season of Nostalgia Hits Differently. Sorry, do I introduce the season or do I introduce the podcast? Regardless, you know where you are. This is even more eyes. Nostalgia <laughs> hits differently. We've decided to go into the, like, a brand new hellscape of fantasy and magic and mystery. And we're going to be discussing the Harry Potter series from a nostalgic point of view. I think the very last of the Harry Potter movies was nine years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it qualifies enough to be a nostalgia series. So we are going to be doing them in groups of two. This week, we're starting from film one and two in our standard formats. How do you feel about these two movies, James, as a kid? I, yeah, it just, as a a kid, I was was just very, very annoyed at uh, the decisions (laughs) that they had made. Um, upon Such reflection, as? well, I just didn't think it looked right. I mm. never imagined them with real uniforms. I always no. thought was, I thought they had robes, yes, but I never thought they had a tie and a jumper and yes, trousers. yes, like because every time I thought about it, I just thought they were wearing like regular clothes and then a robe mm. on top. When I watched it the first time, it kind of ended up giving this illusion of like British prep school, and I was like, okay, cool. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but I, but as I say, even growing up in um in, uh, the UK, most secondary schools and the vast majority yeah. or boarding schools have strict uniform, and yet I still imagine them as a kid without uniform at all. Perhaps it was the liberation of being in a magical world that they wouldn't force their kids to wear these ties. It felt almost like a pitch to the Americans to say, well, this is a, a British boarding mm. school, or so they would have uniforms. I was really yeah. annoyed by the fact they had taken so much out of it, especially at the beginning of the film. But it just seemed like they had streamlined the book. Um yeah. Upon reflection, though, I realised that this is a purist way of looking at adaptation, that at the end of the day, that, of course, you can't put everything into a film. And there's a kind of irony as well, because actually, I think out of the films that were done with Harry Potter, these two are actually the most faithful in a sense of following the actual plot or chapters of the book itself. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, for me, like the first two movies, I was kind of excited about it. I mean, we hadn't really been waiting long because they had hopped on that trend train quite quickly. But it was nice to see how the movie producers reimagined some things because technically the way you kind of would have seen it in your mind is quite different from how some of the things ended up being Mm. represented on screen. So that bit was kind of interesting for me. I also didn't like the fact that certain parts of it were skipped. But that was before the latter movies came along and then I realized I was complaining far too much. I think at the time I was just more excited to see the representations of so many different scenes in film formats Mm -hmm. that I wasn't very critical about the film. I kind of just enjoyed it, you know, seeing like the owls and Diagon Alley and all those little bits. And that was from both of the movies, actually. Mm. Yeah, so I think I enjoyed myself a lot more. Oh no! I, I I think the other thing as well is is uh, the reason for my my deep seated anger at the Harry Potter films, is that someone who is um, brunette and uh, has uh, been able to wear glasses, I was just mm. very angry. I wasn't cast in the role of Harry <laughs> Potter. You know, it was it was a, it was a deep seated great regret of my childhood uh. that I wasn't. Um, I, I was bullied for being mm. Harry Potter like, but I just wasn't yeah. allowed to be in the. Uh, to be in the film. <laughs> I mean, I, I, 
I mean, on some level, I guess you could say there was a bit of representation for nerd kind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you had like a protagonist that was bespectacled and then you had mm. a supporting actress who was a nerd thrown through. So I think yes, Harry yeah. Potter was a bit of a victory for the nerds because yes, yeah. that was the first time when like a nerdiness actually saved the day. He basically had to win by playing chess in film one. So. <laughs> so. Yeah, we'll probably come and talk a little bit about that because I think there's a kind of nerdiness in the film yeah. And yet it's a very safe nerdiness. It's a nerdiness yes, which exactly. doesn't cause it's a not... great amount of discomfort to the characters. Yes, yes, mm. yeah. So where are we now? Because I think we are going to dissect these films individually. Okay, so we're going to begin with the Philosopher's Stone, or in America, I think it's called the Sorcerer's Stone. I can't re- remember which country is which, but film yeah, one. Yeah, no, in America it is Sorcerer's Stone. I think they thought that people would be confused by what a philosopher is in America. Which uh, so, isn't... Yeah. No surprises there. So thinking about Philosopher's Stone now, we said we'd talk about Harry Potter as a protagonist, sort of our reoccurring theme going forward. I found him to be a, quite a bland character, and it also seemed that he doesn't really develop that much over the course of the film. He's a very humble figure. Uh, he's quite good at deducing things. The obstacles, when they do emerge in the film, he just surpasses them. He's obviously saddled with being this poor orphan who's been abused by the Dursleys, but the minute he gets out of that, he's in a world which really just revolves around him. The whole world is obsessed with Harry Potter, and there's no grit to him. He's kind of Oliver Twist of of the wizarding yes. world. Yes. And there is a suggestion that actually he could be a, a bit of a villain. Uh, mm. He's always kind of laughing or smirking when someone else is getting in trouble. Like I noticed that when Malfoy gets a detention later on in Philosopher's Stone, he's got this great big smirk on his face. And when yeah. Dudley gets uh, zapped by Hagrid, uh, yeah. he's sort of laughing about that. So there, there is yeah. a sort of a dark side to Harry. I also noticed that far more, I think, now than I did as a kid with the John Williams score. Mm. It's very intrusive. Every five minutes, it's dun, 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 dun. Yeah. And it's very similar to um, the Empire Strikes Back theme. You know, I swear to you, I was just about to say that. I was like, it, it, was, it was so much like Star Wars. I was, I was like, I was like you, you don't have to keep give, like regaling us with this grand score every yeah. five seconds. Yes, we get it. It's a freaking magical world. Calm down. Yeah. But, but, yeah. Um, um. <laughs> But on the whole, yeah, I, I found him to be quite a sort of bland character. Um, yeah. My favourite character, and I think this is kind of reflecting what you said about nerdiness, is actually Neville. I really root for Neville Longbottom. Like when he <laughs> appears at the beginning and he's got his toad has fallen out of his robe and he's got to pick it mm. up. And the fact he's always assailed by problems and the film really does play him for laughs. Yeah, um, I actually root for him a lot more. And that scene, I'm glad they included it mm. where he's kind of stands up to them and it's like, no, yeah. you can't do this. You know, yeah. you're going to lose more points for Gryffindor. And yeah. um uh, even though I, I think the other funny thing about the film is rules are meant to be broken by this lot somehow they could, they yeah break the rules and get away it, with it oh my but, god like mm. that was the thing that bothered me so much about the film i mean you you know me i'm all about plot line and oh, yes, congruence yes. and logistics like the first thing that crossed my mind was how many times the teachers broke their own rules remember the scene where they said yes no kid should go to the forbidden forest 
Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, you have detention in the Forbidden Forest. Yes. Honeybee, yeah. pick a lane. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, how do you forbid kids from going to the forest? Yeah. Then you punish people by sending them to them the to forest. The forest. Yeah. Then they're going with Hagrid, who basically tells them to go off on their own, uh, accompanied by a dog. <laughs> Which he even and admits I'm, is a coward. I'm just like... <laughs> What is going on? Like, as in, to what degree do we keep expecting plot armor to uh, protect yeah, these kids? Yeah, because yeah. they do some, some of the most reckless things that should be punishable, but they always somehow find a way to get off scot-free. Yeah. And I just kept watching it that they get, yes, we get it. Protagonist is protagonist. Harry Potter can do no wrong. These were my first thoughts from like film one. So they dropped the baby off with what they knew was an abusive family. They knew precisely where Harry was at every point because when they were sending him the letter for Hogwarts, it was addressed to the cupboard under the stairs. Yes, yes. So that means they knew that Harry was sleeping in the cupboard under the stairs. (laughs) And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Then, you know, and they are monitoring so much about what's happening with Harry, but somehow not intervening at all. And then... Sometime around his 11th birthday, they're like, oh, you're a wizard, Harry. Come over to Hogwarts. I'm like, okay, so you had the option of intervening multiple times over the course of his life. Yeah. I read a long time ago that there was a theory regarding the Dursleys and the role they play in the film, which is that they are the real villains of the series. Because if you think about it, everyone and everything revolves around Harry Potter. Even Voldemort, yeah. who hates him, who wants to kill him. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You yeah. know, is obsessed with him. The Dursleys mm. don't care at all. It doesn't matter to them. Harry is very clearly plot armor hero. Mm-hmm. Because Harry is unnecessarily reckless. Keeps getting himself into situations that he really doesn't need to be in. Doesn't really seem to have any sense of safety. Which I think is weird, considering that he's someone who must have come from a background of abuse. I Mm. think abuse victims are typically cautious Mm -hmm. around things. And Harry just seems to have a sense of recklessness that I don't know where it comes from. Yes. And I'm like, why are you diving headfirst into stuff that's really not your problem? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's just this sense of like, he's the boy who lived. He's the boy who can do anything. He's the boy who can do no wrong. Harry has broken so many rules. (laughs) in this plot that Mm. it's kind of annoying that he only gets to get off with I don't know 10 points from Gryffindors and there's no uphill struggle for him really he just gets given stuff over the film so he's got his trust fund when he goes to the anti-Semitic bank Mm. and he gets given the broomstick by McGonagall who I don't know if she's handing out Nimbus 2000s to, exactly. to all the team. Clearly not because of the way which the other Clearly team's not. brooms look like a beaten bunch of stuff. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I don't even want to get into Quidditch because I just think Quidditch is one of the... I know, I imagine you've got some thoughts about the rules and yeah, things I, like that. I, I, but, I think there are oh. I think there are enough people who have written about how Quidditch is the most senselessly oh. designed game in the world. Like, yeah. it's so dumb. The entire game hinges on the catching of a snitch. Yep. Who designs again this daft? Yeah. But the entire game of Quidditch doesn't make sense to me. If you fall off your broom, there is nothing. You are falling several <laughs> several feet down to grass. Yeah. It's not like the entire game is played off you know, a gigantic no. air mattress yeah, 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 or yeah. something. You are falling straight down. 
And I, then everyone expects that you are meant to survive it long enough for like Madame Pomfrey to heal you. I also love the fact with Quidditch, with the films, both of them, they set it up as a really rough game. Like yes. People are being taken out. There's people the girl are like, who flies like, like, into the thing and falls exactly. down. And Wood, people are Wood slamming into getting... other people. And everyone's just fine with this. Poor old Wood. In the second film, he's on his broom and he's like, yeah, you're right, Harry. And then this bludger just comes firing just through. Just him off. <laughs> You know, do his broomstick. He hits the ground. Yeah. Looks like, but but, okay. but he just exists also to give Harry his hero moment. There's yes, a, there's a role that's there, which is just yeah. about winning the game, which he can yeah. do. It's, and of course, that's all predetermined because his yeah. own dad it was a seeker. Exactly. Um, so it's yeah. it's just sort of like you know, this is the thing you were born to do. Yeah. Somehow and. Anytime I saw Harry do anything in the movie, it just felt like, oh, this is what you were supposed to do anyway. Like, it never quite felt he had trained for this or he had strived or had done anything for this. Or, no. I never quite felt any sense of, oh, there is a challenge that he has risen to. And by confronting that challenge, he has gotten to this point. He seems to be more reckless than brave. I wasn't sure how that sat with me because Ron seemed brave. Harry just seemed reckless. Like Ron was scared half the time, yes, but still yeah. did things. Harry just seemed like he had no idea how much danger he really was in and yeah. just went in anyway. The, literally, the only thing protecting you is plot armor because you should have died about five times by yeah. the, like, yeah. <laughs> during the course of this movie. The other it, thing I, I hadn't realized before was how much of a role david bradley who plays filch has in this film yes and i think the hilarious thing about filch is yet he just shouldn't be in this world he's absolutely maniacal there's a brilliant bit where he goes oh uh, we used to have you up by your thumbs in the dungeon god i miss the screaming <laughs> yeah <laughs> <I'm> just like <laughs> You're just who is this guy? What? Who is this guy who's in this film? Who's an absolute nightmare? Um, yeah, but at the same time, it just seemed very unsafe for Filch himself. Yes, because he was surrounded by teenagers with magic. We are talking about people at an age of life with very little um, impulse control. Yeah, they they are rambunctious. They are um, opinionated. They are moody, mm. and you've equipped all these people with magic sometimes very dark magic considering that they're being taught like defense against the dark arts yes, and then the yeah. caretaker of the school grounds is someone with no magic whatsoever yeah yeah how how does that work if the person who was the caretaker of the school grounds was like someone like snape i'll be mm. like okay cool yeah because you know if a student were to misbehave he would i don't know wingardium leviosa the shit out of that kid and <laughs> i don't know f- f- or something but Filch is just walking around with a cat. Mm. He is basically like a hired snitch. Yes. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, like he like yeah. he really can't do anything else. Yeah. He just watches and reports. And I'm like, okay, but, do you but, really need a person for that? Yeah. But Emo, <laughs> but these these are like prep school kids. You know, they yeah. they sit around at the breakfast table and they play chess and they do they seem to do their homework and things like that. But surely <laughs> this school accommodate probably about 20 kids a year and there must be more there must be more either there's more wizarding schools like harry potter never went to the you know the state comp wizard school exactly (laughs) (laughs) no because i mean there have to be more schools because they kept saying it's the best school yeah so that means that there has to be some other school somewhere 
you can't be the best school while being the only school. That makes mm. no sense. And I think they only really got into the fact that there were other schools by, you know, further down the line. There is almost like a subtle kind of classism that comes yeah. with it, which yeah. is that um, Hogwarts is supposed to be this prestigious place that was actually meant for the best of the best, which is, I guess, something we would talk about when we start dissecting our film too. Film too, yeah. This yeah. is a bit of a mess of a place. There's yes. a three-headed dog on a corridor Somehow, that people yeah. shouldn't go down. You know, they're protecting stuff with evil vines. The guy who's meant to be defending against the dark arts turns out to be the <laughs> the villain at the end of yeah. the film. So I quite like the idea that this is an absolute mess of a place. Yeah. I imagine Eton really is like this. My number one health and safety violation in that school, those stairs. Honey, fix the stairs. Oh my god! Like yeah. they're just like yeah. just like let the stairs be regular stairs that go to one place. Yeah. Every other building in this world manages to have stairs that are fixed in place and they're fine. Do that yeah. because yeah. sometimes the fact that someone would be on the stairwell and it and it will start moving. What Sorry, if you get to the top and what if you were at the edge? As it, as it yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're going down that great big chute. Yes. That's, that's quite a drop. I know yes, you can, I know you like, can regrow bones and things like that, I, but I don't but think still, you can land on your head and then you exactly. And I'm also And I'm also but still like even if you're just thinking about it from a practical perspective, like I'm sure there is someone in that school that's bound to be scared of heights. Yes. yes. And you're putting them on a stairwell that isn't freaking stable and it's just moving left and right. The only other yeah. thing I'd like to say about the film that I noticed and is that it was ripe for Warner Brothers to make this film. There's so many commodities in the film that you yeah. could market off of. You yeah. know, the Nimbus 2000, Bertie Bot's Every Flavor Bean, Chocolate yep. Frogs, yeah. Wands and Robes and everything. No wonder there's a Harry Potter theme park because there is. this is the world. I remember reading an analysis years ago saying the great thing about the Harry Potter films mm. is that that commodity fetishism or this idea that, that commodities can... Uh, in of themselves have a of a quality you know like you see a car and it says oh this yeah. car will make you sexy or this car yeah. will make you whatever well these products actually do work they actually do have the qualities that they say they do yeah uh, so the nimbus 2000 really is probably the best broom and the fact that harry's given it there's no effort <laughs> yeah. where for a magical world you would think to have harry maybe create uh, you know, a broom of his own or Hermione yeah. and Ron, they'd create a super broom. You know, yeah. this ingenuity of children have come together and create something. But no, it's just given to you and, and the commodity works. Yeah, exactly. So, done. And that's just the first one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, so like, mm. by the time we get to the second movie, mm. I did get a completely different feel during the second film. It seemed a little more paced, in the mm -hmm. sense that it did follow a somewhat logical plotline structure. There was actually a little more of an attempt to explain some of the actions and decisions by the characters. Not a really good one, but at least a mm -hmm. little bit more than the first one that feel, felt a hodgepodge of multiple ideas just happening at the same time. There were obviously a couple of things that made me raise my eyebrows, you know, the whole thing with the house elves and um, mm. I felt really uncomfortable about that. But Outside of that, I would say the thing about the second book that really stood out to me was what's Malfoy's problem in general? Mm. I understand that there are aggressive, pompous twats everywhere in the world, mm -hmm. but Malfoy just seemed to have woken up with a pineapple up his ass. Because, I, <laughs> like, because uh, Calm down, Fantasia. Like, <laughs> like, 
literally he just showed up and decided that harry potter was going to be his enemy yes yeah, like, yeah, yeah, this yeah. this man doesn't know you from yeah. anywhere and you just decided you know what it's wrong that there is so much fanfare um, around you which i guess is kind of true to what you'd expect from a 13 year old you know they mm-hmm. they do get very moody and judgmental but it just seemed like elitist and angry for a reason i couldn't see no. and i'm like but i like, think what's it, your problem yeah <laughs> i think it's a general problem in the films though so the way i see it is that gryffindor are a bunch of entitled you know they're just pompous and um think they're the best and they always win at the end of it because harry and ron have broken some rules but Slytherin, you never get a counterpoint to how nasty they are. I mean, the Quidditch captain is just this ugly guy with great big teeth. Yeah. And when they go to the common room, it's set in a dungeon. They talk about the fact that everyone who's been in Slytherin is a wrong-un. Um, so why on earth, when the sorting hat goes on the head of person who's in Slytherin, why are they then not marched out the door? It's like, oh, actually, <laughs> you guys, that's, yeah, we, we... <laughs> that's the bit that I didn't understand. So you have this house that has a history of having nasty people or yeah. something. Well, genocidal know. maniacs. Yeah, genocidal maniacs. <laughs> oh, I don't know why. So why would you put them all together? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, like, are you just trying to create like a cesspit of evil? Why wouldn't you dilute some of that with like some nice people from um, Hufflepuff yes, or something? Yeah. Just like throwing some nice guys in there and just yeah. hopefully they'll learn to see the light. But, nah, you know, it's... Nah, it's, the wrongs. I struggle to understand the sorting system. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I was like, you are sorting these people into houses based off like character traits. But then you are just putting them with what their own kind. For what reason? Is this supposed to help develop character? Are you trying to optimize them to being a particular kind of wizard? Yeah. You know, it it, it just felt very like, what's this sectarian thing that yeah. you're doing? Yeah, I think the film undercuts that by having Dumbledore say at the end, Harry chose to be in this particular group. A character might have a certain history. Yeah. So they set up parallels between... Harry and the Tom Riddle slash Voldemort character. Voldemort has this lineage from Slytherin, right? And Harry could potentially have that, but he chooses to be humble and brave, quote unquote, and loyal. So in the end, choice plays a big role here. But like you said, it just doesn't really work with the idea that everyone does have these particular roles to play and then to come back to Malfoy him and his father are clearly really bad people there's prejudice around race connected with blood that's what I thought Chamber of Secrets really tried to do was complicate and and to suggest that this world was actually not as as ideal Mm. as maybe the first film had set it out to be even in the first one, I didn't think the world was ideal. Maybe the mm. childhood version of me thought so, but the grown-up mm-hmm. version of me was like, nope, so many things are wrong with this world, I can list them out. The second book, it started throwing in a bit more social, humanized dynamics into mm. the wizarding world, because up until that point, you are given this idea that the wizarding world operates by almost a very different set of rules. But I think by the time you get to book two, you kind of realize that the wizarding rules are just overlaid on top of regular human bullshit. So like there was a whole slavery system with the house elves and 
Then there was the rights to rule and the rights to be a wizard and whether or not wizarding gifts and skills were only permissible to certain people who had the right bloodline. And I think McGonagall or something at some point said that even coming back to hunt down pure bloods was going to be very difficult in their generation because almost every wizard that existed was at least a half-blood at that point. I think, though, they do capture something unwittingly, which is that just sort of accept prejudice. Hagrid at one point grabs Hermione's hand and says, just don't think on the prejudice, just don't think on it. You know, it's Mm. all right, it's fine, you know, just ignore it. And Mm. even when Malfoy is going around shouting about mudblood, this this is meant to be some form of, you know, taboo epithet, no one's punishing him for it. (laughs) Exactly. No, they just 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 love to, yeah, you know, like it's fine for him to say these things. I mean, it's not like you guys have a zero tolerance policy to um, racism here. No. But it does seem that Rowling and Stephen Cloves, the screenwriter, and the films don't really have much to add to any of this. There's no systemic challenge. It's all just about, okay, the marginal folks, the ones who are down the alley and wear dark robes and have uh, messed up faces. As long as we can get rid of them, everyone else is, is, is cool. So yeah, I mean that that brings me back to the to what I was going to say about the the nerdiness in the film and the yeah. lack of discomfort for the characters. The nerdiness in the film people like Hermione or even people like Ron or Harry are ever uncomfortable. They're cool geeks, right? Yes. They're not the geeks that would have got bullied. Yeah. Um, Which in- I guess was part of the appeal because if you think mm. about mm. the particular demographic of people who were very into harry potter it was we the freaks and the geeks having a world where nerdiness and geekiness was somehow your um, upper hand really and did not really present any sort of major social challenge of any form there was something appealing to that i'll be the first to confess but at the same time it just also now with my kind of grown-up lenses seems mm. unrealistic that's not what it's like even in academia <laughs> which is a field where everyone is expected to be nerdy being mm. too nerdy is still a problem <laughs> so, so yes it's, yeah so it's <laughs> this is a nice childish fantasy i guess but it absolutely does not hold up to the more annoying sections of realism which i guess we could give them the freedom to do because it is a fantasy story ultimately. Mm. But I think one of the things that makes Harry Potter relatable and familiar to Mm. kids going to school, uh, going up the years, changes of teachers, making friends and people falling out. And yet Harry Potter and his chums are the coolest kids in school. And they don't really face much in the way of social challenge. They don't ever have to face uncomfortable, difficult situations, except obstacles which they can clearly surpass because they all have the character traits. And I think the film downplays, even for Hermione, that her cleverness has alienated her. There's one scene where Ron's like, oh, she's a nightmare. And uh, (laughs) and she pushes past him and she goes and cries in the toilet. But other than that, she seems to be generally liked even at the start of the film. And of course, by the time you get to the second film, other than the issue of prejudice, which most people are on side, they don't regard her any differently. There's no real being uncomfortable about the fact that she's muggle-born via the main Mm. cast and via most of the characters. Therefore, for me, the the thing I I kept coming back to was it's dull. 
And that's why I'm always very curious about why Harry Potter films and books are just such a phenomena. Because actually, compared to other things that even were coming out at the time, or maybe a little bit later, and I'm talking here about series, like Avatar, The Last Airbender, that's a vision of a world and a fantasy world where you have characters who are grappling with some issues of being young people, but also facing up to the problems in their world. And in my opinion, in a far more compelling way than what Mm. Harry Potter offers. I would say there were some serious character trait issues mm. that I noticed. And I was like, how did we somehow ignore this the first time? A classic example, right? The character of Severus Snape, right? When I was watching it, I, I thought in as much as I know it's not revealed precisely what the problem is. But from Harry's perspective, he shows up in a school in a world that he only really got to know about maybe two weeks ago. And then there's a bunch of people who already know his name. There's a teacher that just doesn't like him for some reason. Literally, Harry's first day in class, he just straight up bullies the kid. Bro, calm down. The boy showed up and yes, I get that you're trying to put him in this place or something. But it wasn't like he was trying to step out of line. He knew that he knew nothing and he admitted to knowing nothing. And he just kept pressing the issue over and over and over to humiliate the child. And everyone is fine with this. What? You know, I just found it very disturbing that it was depicted as somehow funny that this grown-up is just bullying this child. Not just for Mm. being popular, for being popular because his parents died. Yeah. And and, and he's even dutifully copying down everything he's saying, you know. Yes. And then he's like... It's like, are you paying attention? I'm like... I do like Alan Rickman as an actor. Yes, I yes. do not regard this as a good performance. Snape, for me, just seems so distant in these films. He's barely in them. And then when he does turn up, he's just weird. Yes. I mean, that's the thing that, that occurred to me both in this film and in the other film. He's doing all this weird head-tilting stuff. and Exactly, and, he's just and, weird. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, good luck today, Potter. Uh, you know, like, go to my house, Slytherin. And even in the second one, he sort of says, there's no way Potter could do this. However. <laughs> <laughs> I just, oh, uh, I, I didn't. Even even uh, uh, Jason Isaacs, who, who I think mm. wonderfully wonderfully choose the scenery in Chamber yes. of Secrets. Like, he yes. turns up, like, I'm on the floor laughing. And crying. Because yes. it's just, it was it's just so much. over the top. It was too much. Harry Potter. <laughs> and when he sorts it at the end of the film where he's like, double door. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Potter will always be there to Mark my words, Potter. <laughs> your parents will be medicine too. That's right. Like, uh, it, he tries to kill him. Right at the end of I the know. film, he tries to kill him. I'm like, like, How would that have worked? Why don't he just do that anyway? If, he, if this is the whole plot of... Oh, anyway. Uh, do we start to summarise our thoughts yeah, on these I mean, first two films? Overall, the adaptation itself of both of these films, very by the book. You know, yeah. very, like, we've got to do this bit and this bit and this bit. And this. I just mm. couldn't believe how long it was going on for. There was a real lack of momentum in parts of it. You know, you're sort of sitting yeah. there thinking, oh, God, come on, come on. Like, why are we here? <laughs> but then some really good bits, the bits with the spiders, I thought was, yes. uh, still yes. looks really good. I think yeah. this was a phase in filmmaking where 
uh, and the Lord of the Rings is very much part of this, where they were really trying to fuse the CGI with yeah. some tangible like effects, yes. like real effects, yes. real locations. Yeah. So and I think it works really well. And I think it's still to this day, I think it still stands up on the whole yeah. from that perspective. Summary for me. Film one and two, plot armor in Excelsis, health and safety violation. That's mm-hmm. it. Like that's that's like really that's really all I have to say about those two films because I'm like there was so much plot armor. Like Harry should have died mm. so many times in so many different scenes, but he just somehow kept rolling with the punches. And I think what kept bothering me was that, in as much as how he had been through so much danger, the level of recklessness did not go down even slightly. Mm. And I was looking at him like, just stop running headfirst into danger. Stop running headfirst into situations that you don't understand. You went into the Forbidden Forest the first time and you nearly got your soul sucked by Voldemort or something. And then by book two, you go running again, following a trail of spiders. For what reason? Mm. Why is there this need to be the king of um, investigation? And I think the fact that he keeps getting away with it might be where the confidence is coming from. Because the number of times Harry did things, and I was just sitting on my chair and like, there is no way in hell any self-protecting human being would attempt what you just did. Like, no, it doesn't make sense on any front. But then when you keep being called the boy who lived. Boy who lived, I guess, you know. Lived on and on and, you know, again and again and again. I guess you just get the sense that you are supposed to survive everything, but it didn't really, honestly, it didn't really make any sense to me. But also the health and safety violation. The fact that the school wasn't shut down completely after a handful of students were petrified. It was like, oh yeah, this is just yet another day in the life of um, Hogwarts. We have Mm. a couple of kids who have been absolutely petrified that we found writing on on the wall in blood. But by all means, let's go ahead and um, organize um, Quidditch. Yeah. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, are you being serious? <laughs> there is no school on, in this world that would operate like this. Because this is literally risky from just a <laughs> plain health and safety perspective. And I get that you have magical cures and Madame yes, Pomfrey yeah. is always Madame there Pomfrey, to like yeah. do everything. But by God, I'm surprised you don't have way more injuries. Madame Pomfrey, she must have everything. Cures yeah, for birds. There wasn't there a kid who blew himself up in the class. And you he know. just like, <laughs> he just what like went up to the clinic or something. For me, I just couldn't get past the fact that we're just allowing a bunch of kids mm. do things that are outright dangerous, under the pretext that we would always be able to fix this later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's the grown-up version of me now that can look back at it and be like, yeah, no. Because I know when I was seeing that stuff as a child, it didn't really flag that this could be a problem. What if Madame Pomfrey is out sick? What if the sick bay is full? You know, it's like... <laughs> but also you've got an administration that just don't really care. Either. Just like I mean, allows Dumb- this... Dumbledore's just like, oh, whoa, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> To the hospital wing, Harry. (laughs) They shouldn't have cast Richard Harris. In the second film, he looks like he's holding himself up in the back of the scenes. Like he's he was clearly, (laughs) and and obviously he died. I don't know whether it was the films that finished him off, but he it's just not the right person for that role. Uh, It just didn't work for me. It's why I think when they recast it, Michael Gambon much better. Yeah, in in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. 
I wouldn't say the overall viewing experience mm. wasn't enjoyable mm-hmm. because it was. I was just seeing things that kept raising tiny like red flags in my brain. There is no way in hell this school should be allowed to exist. I think any parents who has watched a single Quidditch game should be like, no, I'm sorry, no. My young Timmy isn't going out there on the broom and like falling several feet to his death. This is unacceptable, Dumbledore. We need to change the rules and regulations. Secondly, the fact that most of those people are half-bloods, right, mean that they have muggle parents. Mm, yes. Yeah. So you're telling me that a bunch of muggle parents might show up to watch a Quidditch game and not think, hmm, hmm. how about no? <laughs> There should be like a muggle PTA board or something. Should be no, 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 no. No, no, no. No, I'm sorry, Dumbledore. This simply will not do. (laughs) Because many of these people must have had like muggle primary schools, I guess. And a lot of them have been steeped in like the muggle world. But then somehow they get into the wizarding world and everything from muggle territory just vanishes completely. Yeah. People are still doing stuff in massive libraries. I'm sorry, but even as at like 1990, I'm pretty sure computers existed. Why was there no single computer in that library? Well, I think like you said, fundamentally what this world sets up is that there is a clear separation between these two places. But you're absolutely right in that... If you think about the implications, there should be lots of overlaps. There should be lots of overlaps. The film film just doesn't want to address at all. Yeah. Yeah. So to summarise, the way in which I enjoyed watching these films second time round was realising, even though I know it's not going to come to fruition, that Harry could be the villain of the franchise. Bearing in mind, by the end of the first film, he's got his first body under his belt because he yep. deliberately attacks Quirrell, knowing that his face mm-hmm. is going to turn into ash. Harry's, for me, should be on a downward slope, but he's yep. just too goddamn humble and noble. I think after watching these films just as adaptations, I think they're fine. My anger has abated. My disappointment has abated. It's fine. It's a perfectly fine production design is good. The special effects are good. They've got a cast of competent, if not some very charming actors in very boring roles. So I enjoyed it a lot more than I did maybe as a kid. I still don't get what the big, big appeal is of this franchise. So yeah, that's where I'm at with it. We still have to see like six more movies. (laughs) Why do we set ourselves up? (laughs) Why do we set ourselves up like this? We're going to be spending a lot of time in this world. Oh my God. This is another 20 hours of film. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Something that we're going to do. Uh, But it's fine. This is what we signed up for. Mm. Okay. So So we're just going to leave it there. Um, Mm. This has been James and Emil for Even More Eyes, Nostalgia Hits Differently. Next week, we'll be back with The Prisoner of Azkaban and The Goblet of Fire, carrying on our journey into the wizarding world of Harry Potter. Yeah, Harry Um, Potter. (laughs) Harry isn't it isn't it weird that like Uncle Vernon actually says Potter like in the house I'm like he's ah! enough we have yeah, we yeah, have yeah, yeah, signed yeah. out join us next week etc etc okay signing up now <laughs>